here. Uh, we're continuing a conversation, really a journey through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our week six. If you're a really good note taker, uh, just write somewhere week six, uh, week six of the Gospel of Matthew. And what we just said, hey, well, what would it look like for six, seven, eight weeks to travel through the Gospel of Matthew, which is really an account. It's a biographical account. Matthew lived, walked, and talked with Jesus. And it's a, an account of, of his life and his ministry, his life and his ministry, Jesus' earthly life and his ministry. And Matthew was there for it. Like he was, he was at the events, he was really there, wrote them down so that people in future generations like us might read it and encounter more of Jesus who he is today because of what happened a couple thousand years ago. And so we've been traveling through the Gospel of Matthew and we're in our sixth week. But before we jump into that, I want to show you several passages in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to ask you this. What was the last hard conversation you had to have? What was the last hard conversation you used to have, you had to have? Maybe it was in a, a phone call, maybe something like, hey, I just got to ask you about such and such. Or maybe it was in a, a conference call, a Zoom meeting, maybe it was in a, a boardroom or meeting room or your office, maybe it was in a car, maybe it was at a kitchen table where you had to have a hard conversation. And maybe you even start to feel like your palms, like a little bit, start to sweat a little bit. Your heart starts to change, like, had to have a hard conversation. Christy and I have been married just over five years, and uh, we went from being long distance, uh, different countries, for about two and a half years to literally sharing the same tube of toothpaste, okay? So it was like, it was a big adjustment. Like, it was like, I like you, but I need some space kind of thing. Like, so we had all these years of dating and then got married and just like, what, what does life even look like being like in the same zip code? How do, we, how do we actually do this, let alone like you're in my house? You're still in my house. You haven't left my house. You're still here. And uh, so we had, had lots of hard conversations, not bad conversations, just working it out, trying to figure it out. And we had an awesome counselor. Her name was Jean. And Jean was like the, the best, like, um, the best combination of like uh, stern, loving aunt and like really smart counselor lady and like Jesus follower. Okay, like so she was this perfect triad of all these different kind of faces and really what we needed at the time. Like she would say like, Joel, Joel, Joel you stop talking. Now let Christy talk, and while she's talking, you listen, okay? Like, that's how you have the conversation. That's how you do this kind of thing. And so we would talk, and we just worked through some issues and, and figured out communication and figured out how to, like, be for each other in this whole new marriage thing. But they were hard conversations. Like, they weren't, like, the most fun thing to have, but they were productive. They, like, like, we left that counseling meeting on the way home. We had things to talk about. We had things to work on. We had things to improve. And the thing that struck me as I thought about our time together, as I thought about hard conversations, is that hard conversations, tough conversations at their best, yes, they are hard, but they're also, they're also hopeful. They're also hopeful. Like they, also, they have this ingredient of like there is a conflict. There's something that needs to be figured out. Like we need to get on the same page. We need to be together. But the best conversations like that are, they end with this hope. Like, I'm not just trying to make you feel bad. I'm not just trying to, like, call you out. I'm not just trying to, like, air your dirty laundry in some weird way. No, I'm trying to call out something so I could call you up to something. I could, I could call you to something more. I could offer some hope. 
And hopefully, if you're like a, a leader or, or a parent or a friend or a spouse, like your conversations, you've had those experiences where it's like, man, that, that was hard. That was hard to do. That took, that took some courage. That took some energy. But I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we had it. And today, I want to take you to four different moments. I want to take you to four different conversations that Jesus had throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And these conversations, you'll hear it as we read his words. They are hard. Jesus was loving and compassionate and gracious, but Jesus was also clear. Jesus was also pointed. Jesus also spoke into the heart of the matter. And they're hard conversations, but they're hopeful as Jesus had them. I want to take you to four different, and, and some of this from where we've been the last couple of weeks, we'll, we'll resume a little bit and, 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 and hit these different moments as we go through. The first conversation the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets, one who's like acting the part or, or an imposter, these false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Hard conversation number one. Hard conversation number two. Matthew 12. Jesus says this, either make the tree good, and as a result, its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Maybe you're catching Jesus' theme here. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Matthew 15, another hard conversation. Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the life, what comes out of the actions proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Last hard conversation, last hard moment. Jesus at the end of uh, what has just been titled the parable of the tenants, one of Jesus' last uh, parables, these stories of wisdom in his earthly life and ministry, at the end of that says this, Matthew 21, 43, therefore, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God, the work, the rule, the reign, the sphere of where Jesus does all that, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Four, four different moments. And maybe as I read those four, you kind of heard a common theme, right? Jesus is talking a lot about 
fruit. He's talking about like what comes out of the inside. He's talking about the, the actions, the words, the fruit of someone's life. Out of the abundance of what's within, things flow out. Four different hard but hopeful conversations. Four different clear but also compassionate and loving conversations from Jesus. And I want to make a couple observations about these moments. A couple observations for us about these moments. The first is, first is this, that Jesus is concerned with reality, not appearance. Jesus is concerned with reality, not appearance. Jesus had all kind of, all kind of bad feedback from people on the people he associated, associated with that were outwardly not so put together. But Jesus was, was concerned about the heart. Jesus says out of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, that's where things really matter. Jesus was concerned with reality, not appearance. And for especially us in North America, especially us in West Michigan, especially us under this umbrella of Christianity, that's a hard truth. That's a hard truth because we spend a lot of time on our appearance. And I'm not just talking about like your, your outfit, your clothes, your makeup, or your hair. We spend a lot of time on the, on the appearance of our life, on the appearance of our lifestyle, on the appearance of our friendships, on the appearance of our houses and of our cars and our vocations, when Jesus is concerned with what's really going on at the heart of the matter. So for some of us, that's a hard truth. Some of us, that's a freeing truth because you feel like my life is not that pretty right now. My life is like a little bit in rubble. It's a little bit dried up. It's a little bit in shambles. It's encouraging truth that Jesus, he can, is concerned about what's inside, what, what the reality is, not just the appearance. In the Old Testament of our Bibles, we see in Samuel, like God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Jesus is concerned with reality. What is actually going on, not just what appears to be. The second this is this. Jesus had this assumption that he lived with, he led with, he spoke with, that our lives are bearing fruit of some kind. Our lives are bearing fruit of some kind. You heard it in, in those multiple words of Jesus. There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. But there's a fruit of some kind. Your life right now is bearing fruit. There's, there's something growing out of it. There's something coming out of it, either good or bad. Of some kind, your life has fruit. And the last is this, that bearing good fruit matters to Jesus. Bearing good fruit really matters to Jesus. And here's what I think. I think it matters to you too. I think it matters to you too. I don't think anyone, if we, we, if we all sat down for, for a coffee later on, I don't think any one of us in this room would say, yeah, I just want people to be, you know, really demotivated when they leave my presence. I really, I really want my bank account, bank account just to keep going farther and farther in the red. I really just want my, my work to be really ineffective, really not that impactful. 
I, I don't want any more joy. I don't want any more peace. None of us would say that we don't want our lives to bear good fruit. We don't want good things coming out of us. Even when it feels like life is squeezing us, that something good is not coming out. I don't think any of us would say that. So let me just encourage you. It is 100% God's will for your life to bear good fruit. It is his will, his desire, and his design for your life to bear good fruit, for good things to be coming out of your life, regardless of season, regardless of age, regardless of ability or resources. It is his will. Let me just define good fruit for us. What does it mean to have good fruit? Very simply put, good fruit is this. It's the outward expression of the inward work of God. An outward expression, an outward demonstration, outward evidence of an inward work. If you think about, uh, you think about joy, joy is something external. Joy is something I, I, I feel, I walk with, I walk in but it's the result of an inward change. It's the result of an inward state. If I, it's hard to measure peace, but you know it when it's there and you know it when it's not there. It's, a, it's an inward state, and then it flows out of a person. The outward expression of the inward work of God. And here's what struck me is that there's, there's really measurable fruit. Maybe you have someone in your life around you that like, just feels like everything they do, maybe they're like a Jesus follower. It's like, not like they're trying super hard, but it's just feel like their life, like you would say, is like blessed. Like they, they just, they, they, they succeed in things. They're effective. They're, they're full of joy and full of purpose. It's really easy to, to measure, really easy to call out. But there's also things, some things that are more immeasurable. There's some things that are harder to find, harder to measure. But it's this inward transformation. It's this inward work that flows outward. It's, it's really good fruit. And Jesus both wants and expects us to bear good fruit. Jesus both desires hopes and dreams, and he expects us and invites us to bear good fruit. And here's what I think Jesus wants us to wrestle with today. Two, two truths, just like a really good conversation, just like a really good like counseling session with Jesus. It's this. The hard truth is this, that there are very real consequences for not bearing fruit. There are consequences for not bearing fruit. Jesus has uh, judgment and justice when good is put in us and potential is put in us and hope and peace and joy and salvation and renewal is put in us and it stays there. Now, those are the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, 19. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't know all fully what that looks like, but that doesn't sound good, okay? It doesn't sound good. I don't want to be cut down and thrown in Jesus' bonfire. But he says, every, every tree that does not bear good fruit, there's this refining, there's this pruning that he does. There's this judgment, there's this justice. Another one, Matthew 21, 43, says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God, the favor, the blessing, the working, the moving, the reigning and ruling of Jesus, 
will be taken away from you and given to people bearing its fruits. What does that tell me? There are consequences, eternal consequences, right now consequences for not living lives bearing fruit, bearing really good fruit because of Jesus. That's the hard truth. But don't just think of punishment or wrath. Think of unrealized fruit that was meant to be in the world through your life. Think of unrealized joy and peace that was supposed to make it in the world because it was a fruit of your life. Think of impact through your life in other people that's missed when you don't live a life that's reaping fruit. It's bearing good fruit for Jesus. That's the hard truth. There are consequences for not bearing fruit. The hopeful truth, the hopeful truth is this, that we can bear fruit and there's always more fruit to bear. That your life can, you have the potential and the power and the ability and the design to bear good fruit and there's always more fruit to bear. Like there's no cap on peace. There's no cap on joy and fulfillment. There's there's not a salary cap on meaning and impact and significance. You can bear good fruit, and there's always more fruit to bear. The hard truth and the hopeful truth, Jesus would put both in front of us. Say, what do you do with it? How, How do you live in it? What's the step there? I want to show you a picture of Death Valley National Park. Death Valley National Park. I'm just curious. Anyone in the room been to Death Valley National Park? There's a few first service. Okay, like four and a half of us. Okay, I've never been, so I don't count. Uh, There's about four. Um, Maybe you should go uh, sometime. But Death Valley National Park is on the border of California and Nevada. And maybe you've seen some pictures of Death Valley, uh, kind of this... um, you know, like a famous look of just very dry and arid. Like I look at that picture and kind of start sweating. Like it just feels, feels dry, it feels hot, it feels arid and, and kind of desolate. And Death Valley has the, uh, the highest recorded temperature in Death Valley. It was in the ner- early 1900s at 134 degrees Fahrenheit. 134 degrees Fahrenheit. You could almost brew some coffee with that. I mean, that's hot. That's really hot. Uh, Some of us squirm and and complain when it's like 78 and breezy, okay? 134 degrees Fahrenheit. That's just hot. And because of the heat, because of the dryness, things just die, right? Hence, Death Valley. Things just die. Things are just desolate. But Death Valley is in this interesting cycle, depending on the, the, the rain and the weather systems and things I don't fully understand, that every six, seven, eight years, Death Valley, and, and California specifically, will, will get just these big rainfalls, like heavy rainfall after heavy rainfall that, that are very uh, consistent and productive, like things just start blooming, things just start moving. And in 2016, Death Valley had what they called a super bloom. Maybe you heard this term, super, super bloom. And after a big drought in 2015, in 2016, there was all this rainfall that just kept coming, kept coming. And that rain worked its way down into the the soil, down onto the surface of Death Valley National Park, and um, uh, like started to come out these wildflowers, all these wildflowers just everywhere, these different colors of wildflowers. And actually, there's another super bloom in 2023, this past calendar year. And it was so uh, 
the, the colors were so powerful that you could see the variance from some parts of space. You could actually see through like a space telescope, like space to earth, you could see the colors in these mountains of California, these super blooms. And what struck me is that Death Valley, like nothing really changed about Death Valley. Like Death Valley was still in the same location, same longitude and latitude. Like you still got into the park, the same entrance. What struck me is what, what can happen when the conditions change. When the conditions are different. What kind of things start to bloom and grow and flourish when the conditions of Death Valley National Park start to change. Here's what I believe about your life. I believe God wants your life to bloom. I believe he wants your life to bloom. I believe he wants joy to bloom in your life. I believe he wants purpose and passion to bloom in your life. I believe he wants peace and settledness and rest to bloom in your life. I believe he wants hope and vision and dreams to bloom in your life. But sometimes the conditions need to change. Sometimes the, the environment needs to change. And so Jesus invites us, yes, to, to bear good fruit, but how do we do it? Like, how, how do we live lives that are experiencing that? How, how do we live lives that are, that are rooted and grounded in, in what he has for us? I want to just give you a couple of simple things. The first is, uh, I want to take you to the, the, the book of uh, uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, I know you're saying we're leaving Gospel of Matthew. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to the Gospel of John. One of my favorite passages in the Scriptures, John chapter 15. And you can read it. John chapter 15 is in a moment where Jesus is looking at the cross. He's looking at his crucifixion, his death coming in front of him very quickly. And John chapter 15 is in this big chunk of teaching that Jesus does with his disciples. And he says this, John 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus very clearly is just saying, would you abide in me? That word abide has a couple of pictures to it. Some translations may say remain, make your home at me, with me. The word abide has a couple of pictures. The first is of of place and presence. So picture that like you're in this room right now, like your, your physical body is in this room. Maybe your mind is elsewhere. Your physical body is in this room. And it's like being in a place with Jesus, being in his presence, him and you and, and you and him. It's, it's being with Jesus. But the second picture is this, is this concept of time. So it's not just I'm in a place. I'm not, not just like I'm with Jesus, but there's, there's time spent. There's, there's time invested. You ever have someone like, um, there's, they're just really hard to get out of any kind of door. They're just hard to like get out the door. Like they just seem to just like linger and like always have something to do. Like there's, there's a picture of, of, of dwelling, of staying back, of, of spending time. And then the last picture of this abide is to, is to be one in action and being. 
to be one in action and being. So you hear Jesus say, if you want to bear fruit, abide in me. Be full of my presence. Stay with me. Like, stay there over time and then live and act with me. Abide or remain or stay with me. A friend of mine would say this, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus does. If you want to bear much fruit, be with Jesus. And when you be with Jesus, you become like Jesus. You are who you spend your most time with. And do what Jesus did. Would you abide with Jesus? Abiding in Jesus is about him clearing out what's not of him and replacing with what is. Abide in Jesus. The second is this, make space for the Spirit. Make space for the Spirit. A lot of us would recall the, the passage in Galatians, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's gentleness, faithfulness. All these things that, that you and I would want. So would you make space for the Spirit? Would you make space for His voice? Would you make space for his empowerment? Would you make space for his leading? Would you make space for his direction? And John 15 was right before Jesus taught extensively on the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit would be their, their counselor, their leader, their guide. Would you make space for the Spirit? And the last is this, would you get moving? Would you get moving? Would you get moving? I had a conversation with someone between services, and we, we, we were talking around this idea. Some of us in our relationship with Jesus, we need to slow down. We need to slow down. There's way too much activity and not enough abiding. We need to slow down. We need to make more space. We need to clear more clutter. And then some of us need to speed up. Some of us need to get a move on. And when I say get moving, I mean take a step. Maybe you feel stagnant. Maybe you do feel, spiritually speaking, or just in general, maybe you feel a little bit more like Death Valley. You feel stagnant. You feel dry. You feel stuck. What would it look like for you to take a faith-filled step of action? To, to try something. Like to have a conversation. To ask a question. To read a book to watch a thing, to listen to a thing, to try something new, to be vulnerable, to get around other people following Jesus. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like you're not producing fruit. Maybe Jesus would want to produce fruit through your faith-filled action. Would you get, would you get moving? Some of us need to, we need to slow down. Some of us, we need to speed up. We like abiding too much. We need a little more faith-filled, Jesus-led action. I believe Jesus wants to grow really good fruit in your life. Really good fruit in your life. His fruit of peace, his fruit of joy, his fruit of rest, his fruit of purpose, renewal, new perspective, passion, energy, vibrancy. And as he does it, he wants us to abide. He wants to make a lot of space for his spirit to move and work and, and lead us and guide us and shape us. I think some of us, he wants us to get moving. He wants to meet us in our faith-filled actions.